How's it going, folks? How's it going? I'm Brother Matthew, and welcome to Christian Coffee Time, where we sit down together to study the Word of God. And today we're going to be continuing on our study of the Gospel of John. We are working our way through chapter 14, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And we're up to verse 16. So the Gospel of John, chapter 14, we're up to verse 16. So please grab your Bibles, notepads, and pens, and be ready for another great study of the Word of God. Grab your tea, grab your coffee, grab your notepad and pen. There's going to be a lot of information in this one. And if you have any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything at all uh, regarding the context at hand, the content at hand, then please, by all means, feel free to join in. And we will also be uh, taking some questions and stuff at the end, but we try to kind of keep it related as we don't want to rat trail too much off topic as there's a lot of stuff that to study in here and uh so we want to try to just keep it somewhat related so with that in mind we'll continue on so the gospel of john chapter 14 and as we've been seeing through this chapter is it again so many proofs of the divinity of jesus christ as he talks talks about all these things now people argue that he he doesn't say adamantly so absolutely clearly you know where jesus says i am god worship me well all because he may not say that exact phrase doesn't mean he doesn't call himself god how many ways can one say and demonstrate their divinity without having to actually say the specific words, I am God, worship me. How many different ways? Well, countless, really. Well, take a look through the gospel, go real slowly, pay attention to the specific words, and you will see that Jesus does that through many infallible proofs, showing himself by many infallible proofs in word and deed. Where even the Pharisees knew this uh, so clearly, where the Pharisees picked up stones and they wanted to stone him. And they said, because thou being a man, makest thyself God. So they even knew this. And many times they knew this, that this is what Jesus was saying and what Jesus was demonstrating. So, to get back on topic here of John chapter 14. Now, we ended at verse 15 talking about where Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we went over that and explored that to see what Jesus is talking about there and showing how the works-based salvationists, the Judaizers and the uh, hyper-religious legalistic people, where they, they misconstrue. The commandments of god in this way if you love me keep my commandments so the reason why we're following the lord keeping his word and walking in righteousness walking in his commandments is not because we have to it's not because it's mandatory it's not because it's salvationary we're only doing it because we love him we, we truly love the lord we honor him. We want to be with him. We want to walk with him in all things. And to show our love and devotion of him, we do what he says. That's how 
that's how you know that uh, the parent has loving, obedient children because they do what they're told when they're told they're without question. And they obey their parents because they love their parents. So it's a relationship thing. It shows by a relationship. All right. So well, I was just about to explain it and Wild Blue beat me to it. Okay. <laughs> but what are the what are the three points of, of Bible study and why are they important? And Wild Blue answers it the Brian method. It's taken from Acts 17:11. The what equals interpretation, and it's taken from 2 Peter 1, 20 to 21. How equals application, and it's taken from 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. The why is demonstration, and it's taken from 1 Peter 3, 15. And the final part of my question is now, why is that important? Why is that important? Now, the past several days, the past several uh, videos that we've done, we did a few videos where we showed this the importance of this we took to go back a while while ago and you see the video i did about the atonement of jesus christ according to the bible what is the atonement of christ and we took a look at that and we refuted the false teaching the false doctrine the heresy of limited atonement where the atonement of jesus christ is not limited in any way shape or form that's a false doctrine that's the heresy saying that the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that he shed on the cross, his atoning sacrifice was limited. He did not die for all people, as some people say, and that's heresy. The Bible clearly says through multiple, multiple passages, yes, Jesus did die for all the world. He atoned for all the world. He so loved all the world, and on and on and on. He's not willing that any should perish. She calls all men everywhere to repentance. So sticking with the Bible, you can refute traditionalized catechism. Sticking with just the Bible, you can refute traditionalized commentary, counsel, and creed, and all this other stuff, which we also then did in another video where, according to the Bible, what is true church history? What is the real church history discerning true church history from the false? So we took a look at that one to see, okay, where did our doctrines come from? Where did our Bible come from? What about the Council of Nicaea, which is heresy? It's it was uh, Constantine's early church, and it it is it's what developed all the doctrines for the Roman Catholic Church. Roman as a Roman Empire, Catholic as Universal Church, uh, the fellowship gathering of the Universal Church of the Roman Empire. What is the Universal Church of the Roman Empire? Constantine's church, which also is known as the Roman Catholic Church. So their councils, their doctrines are not our councils, are not our doctrines. We explored that. We took a look at how that is. And anyone who thinks that their, their stuff is ours is greatly deceived and in his misunderstanding true church history. Now, taking the same principle of studying the word of God in this way, we're going to take a look at this. Verse 16, John chapter 14, verse 16. John chapter 14, verse 16. Please grab your, your Bibles and turn with me there. In verse 16, it says, and I will pray the Father. Some people get tied up about that. Well, if Jesus is God, why does he need to pray? The quest, that 
question is misinformed. It ha has wrong implication in the question. Wrong understanding of the meaning of pray. To pray. Now, to pray, if you go back in the Old English, is this invitation to conversation. Where I would say to you, I pray ye. To pray is to hold in conversation. To hold in discourse. To invite into a conversation. To have conversation with. So, and I will talk with. And I will discuss with. I will bring it up to the Father. And he will give you another comforter. Another comforter. Now, who's the first comforter? Well, that would have been Jesus upon the earth he was there with them and then he's gonna go but as he says i will never leave thee nor forsake thee to fulfill that he has to send he sends someone in his place and uh, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever now verse 16 there when is the holy spirit given to us according to the bible not according to denominational distinctives, not according to catechism and tradition and religiosity. According to the Bible alone, when is the Holy Spirit given? Well, we take a look at Ephesians 1.13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In whom also after that ye believed, after you believed, you were sealed the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4.30, sealed by the Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the day you go to be at the Lord, whether in death or the second coming of Christ. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Hmm. A couple of interesting things there in verse 16. He shall give you another comforter. This comforter, if we go down to verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. All right. I said I wasn't going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay. Rabbit trailing. Uh, if we go off on a rabbit trail here, this passage right here from verse 15 to 26 is the passage I like to use when, I, when I'm in debates with Muslims. Because, <laughs> believe it or not, According to the Muslim apologists, Muslim debaters, the Muslim theologians and scholars, uh, they they say that the comforter is Muhammad. They actually will quote John chapter 14. Even though they say that the New Testament's corrupted and you can't trust it and you can't use it, they still use they use John 14 to try to teach that the comforter is Muhammad. Um Okay, well, if we go down to verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, I, I really don't think that Muhammad is the Holy Ghost. But also, we got another problem here. We got another problem with this, amongst many problems, is, okay, 
they say, according to the Quran and according to all their teachings and all this stuff, they say Jesus is not the Son of God. Jesus did not die on the cross. Jesus did not atone for all the people. And Jesus is just some lesser prophet, less than Muhammad, and that Muhammad is actually greater than Jesus, is what they say. All right. Well, if you, if you ask any Muslim, from their imams to their teachers, scholars, all, any Muslim, ask any Muslim, who sent Muhammad? They'll all tell you emphatically that their God, Allah, sent Muhammad. Okay. Jesus says, the comforter that I will send in my name. I will send. The comforter will 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 teach of me. He will cause you to be in remembrance of me. I will send you the comforter. I will come to you. So even by that logic, then using that Islamic logic, saying that the comforter is the Holy Ghost. Going by that logic, according to their argument of John 14, of their usage of John 14, they are then implying Jesus is God. <laughs> Unknowingly, they're implying that Jesus is God because it was Christ that sent the comforter. And if they say the comforter is Muhammad, then they're technically they're saying that Allah sent Muhammad. And according to their argument, then Jesus is Allah. So... Just wanted to throw that in there just for fun. Just to show how Islamic apologetics is severely lacking. So with that fun tidbit, let's continue on. Hey, verse 16. And I will pray the Father. So this is discuss with. Bring it up to. To hold in conversation. That's what praying is. I'll pray the Father. I'll ask the Father. And he will give you another comforter. That he may abide with you. What's the word? What's the word? Forever. He will abide with you forever. Okay. Now here's the thing. If you could lose your salvation... Or have it taken away. Is the Holy Spirit abiding with you forever? No. To imply. To imply. That the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. Is also a proving argument. For once saved always saved. Because Jesus would not have said he'll abide with you forever if you could lose the Holy Ghost, if you could lose your salvation. Now let's move on to verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, the spirit of truth. Now what did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6? Jesus says, I am the way the truth and the life i am the truth i am the truth 
Jesus says, even the spirit of truth, the comforter, which is the spirit of truth. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Look at verse 18. Look at verse 18. So when you pair Ephesians 3, 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Christ. Okay. What is, who is the Christ? What does it mean? Christ means the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one, the one of the prophets, Isaiah 9, 6, the mighty God, the everlasting father. Okay. The other day, I also did a video where I explained and showed by the word of God alone, using only Bible. I showed using only Bible, according to the Bible, what is the biblical Godhead. And in there, we discussed, we discussed the meaning of Christ. Who is, what is the Christ, and what Christ is according to the word of God. Christ is the promised spirit of God, the spirit of God. Almighty God, as Isaiah 9, 6 says, the mighty God, everlasting Father, that would come down to Isaiah 53 to save his people from their sins. Okay. So the Christ Spirit of God, the Christ Spirit of the mighty God, everlasting Father, this is the, the promised Spirit of God that would come down to save his people. But again, spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. So Philippians 2, 5 to 8, he fashioned a body for him, a body thou hast prepared for me. And he fashioned a body that he indwelt. Where well, we just went over that in the previous chapter, where Jesus talks about this, how the Father is in me. The Father speaks through me. The Father works through me, as Jesus says. What is in him? What is the spirit of the body of Jesus? Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we see the body of the Son, the spirit of the Father. I and my Father are one. The Son is the body body of God, God's own body, son of God, God the son, 100% man, 100% God, God manifested in the flesh, the visible image of the invisible God. That's what Jesus is. The son and the father are one, working in unison. As Jesus says, I say those things which he wants me to say. The works that I do are not mine own works, but of his that sent me. It's his working through me. My father speaks through me. My father works through me, Jesus says. The spirit of the body, the spirit of Jesus, is the Christ spirit, which is the spirit of God. The spirit of the father. That's what the Bible says. 
That's what the Bible says. Look at it. Show me how I'm wrong. And then Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Who is the father of Jesus? Well, I'll go back to Luke. When Gabriel showed up to Mary, when Gabriel showed up to Mary and says, the Holy Spirit shall come upon thee and thou shalt be found with child. The Holy Spirit's the father of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the comforter, which is the spirit of truth, which is the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ, is the spirit of God that dwells in the heart of every believer, Ephesians 3.17, that comes upon you and seals you when you believe in the gospel, Ephesians 1.13. This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. The spirit of Christ is the comforter, is the spirit of the Father, who is spirit. He is holy. He is spirit. That's what the Bible flat out says. I've showed you the verses. Verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, because, again, God only saves those who will believe. And people who have not the spirit of God working upon them cannot understand the scriptures. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, that for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That's what it says. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. All right. I thought Jesus just said the Holy Spirit, the comforter, will come upon us and will teach us. And the Holy Spirit will seal us. Why is Jesus saying, I will come to you. I will seal you. Why does the why, why does God say in Ephesians 3.17 that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith if it's the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts by faith? Because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. It's one God. Seriously. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Why, why would he say that if he didn't mean that? Because look at verse 26. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will teach you all things. Verse 18, I will come to you. I will not leave you comfortless. Look at what it says. Tell me I'm wrong. How can people preach it and teach it some other way? Look at what it says. If we even back up, let's back up. Let's back up. Again, I just want to throw this one out there again. I love re reiteration. I love going over it again. I, I like really just hammering this down so that people can't argue against it. All right, let's take a look at, at, at something here. Let's back up in the chapter. Let's go up to verse 8. Okay, now this one's going to bake your noodle if you don't believe in this. Look at this. Verse 8. Philip saith to him, Lord, show us the Father. Remember when I said that the Spirit of Christ, the Christ Spirit, is the, is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of the Father. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8, John 14, verse 8. Philip said to them, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, 
And yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Or Jesus will say, I and the Father are one. And I will, I will send you the Comforter, the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Christ dwells in the heart of every believer, the Spirit of truth. I am the truth. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Christ means the anointed one, the promised one, the prophesied one. Isaiah 9, 6. Christ is, Isaiah 9, 6, the mighty God. Christ is, Isaiah 9, 6, the everlasting Father. Christ is, Micah 5, 2, the one whose ways are of old, of everlasting. Meaning in the Hebrew, the always existing one. The always existing one, Christ who is the Word, who made all things. Christ who is God, who reigns sovereign of all things, God. The Christ spirit of God, the maker of all things, comes down in, in spirit, fashions a body, Philippians 2, 5 to 8, and indwells that body. He comes down and indwells that body. And Jesus says, the words that I say are not mine own words, but of his that sent me. The works that I do are not mine own works, but of his of, of my father's working through me. I will, I will send you the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and I will come to you and I will dwell in you. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will teach you all things. I will never leave, leave you nor forsake you. I will teach you. I will give you the words. Do you see that what Jesus is saying? Do you see what he's saying? The Spirit of Christ is the Spirit of the Father. The Christ spirit of the Father, the Christ spirit of God, that where God promised that he would come down and atone for the sins of his people. That's what it says. It's what it says. How can people split it up? How can people say it's it's other explanations? It's not three individual distinct co-equal persons. It's one. The Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of the Father, working in all these ways, simultaneously showing himself in all these ways. If it's three individual, co-equal, distinctive individual persons, then please explain to me Isaiah 9, 6, how the baby in the manger is called Father God. Go read the verse, Isaiah 9, 6. If it's three distinct, co-equal, individual persons, then why Colossians 2, 9 does it say that in Jesus dwells the fullness of the Godhead? What's the fullness of the Godhead? First John 5, 7, the Father, Word, and Holy Ghost. These three bear record, illustrate, show the characteristic nature, aspects of is what it means in the Greek. These three show the illustration of the characters of the one person, the thought that he's Father, he's Word, he's Holy Spirit. The word became flesh. Jesus says, I and my father are one. Receive ye my spirit. And he breathed upon them the Holy Ghost. So we take a look at this. Again, Jesus is doubling down, explaining right here. He is God manifested in the flesh. The visible image of the invisible God. That's what he says right there. That's what he says. 
Show me how it's not. It's not what he's saying. Show me how that's not what he's saying. Okay. As, as someone, I imagine says he's is that need allies or works to comfort faith alone brings all spirit within. That's right. That's right. Imagine says that's the new age belief. They can't see that God is supernatural in his own right. He is one. He's one. And God is omnipresent. He's omnipresent. That means everywhere present. He simultaneously shows the fullness of his person. He's not limited to only being able to show one at a time. He shows everything at the same time. He's in the heart of every believer. He stands by the side of every believer. He teaches every believer simultaneously. He shows the fullness of his person simultaneously as he is the father of all things. He spoke and made all things. Thus he's the word and he is Holy Spirit. He shows the fullness all at the same time. And that is not modalism. Modalism is saying he's limited to only one aspect at a time, which is stupid nonsense heresy so we see right here jesus is actually explaining the godhead through himself so yeah okay why blue does the catholic church teach three individual persons yes the uh the catholic godhead it says that there are three individual distinctive co-equal persons of the godhead three individual distinct persons three people in the Godhead, but there's one God, but there's three gods. Catholic Godhead isn't even biblical, and you literally cannot prove the Catholic Godhead through the Bible. And the Catholic Godhead was actually fabricated in the in the Roman Council of Nicaea, which is the Catholic Council of Nicaea. That's where they made up that distinct that that distinction of the Godhead. In the 300s AD through the uh, Council of Constantine, Constantine convened that council and they came up and made up that Godhead explanation there, and which was never seen, never heard, never read, never studied, never taught before that. They made that up. The Bible teaches one God, one person, not three. He shows himself by three natures. He shows himself simultaneously in three these three fullnesses of his person simultaneously. That's what the Bible says, but it's not three persons. It's the three aspect characteristic natures of the one person. And Jesus even clarifies this right here in John 14. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, sorry. Imagine says it's amazing, really. This is really confusing topic for me, and I'm sure many others are blessing for teaching this. Amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, JWs are a uh, tough nut to crack. That's right. They say Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Uh, okay, I'm convinced that the Greek says no that Jesus is God and denies it. Yeah, Je Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God. They firmly believe Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Uh, they're just as messed up as the Muslim uh, doctrines are, where they say Jesus was just some man who is a lesser prophet, less than Muhammad, or any other religion that that reduces the sovereignty of Christ. So yeah. Okay, um, okay, Christopher, what about people who call the Godhead three persons but co-equal and co-eternal? Is that biblical they want? It's not persons. That's the thing. When you do a study, and I did this in great detail uh, a couple days ago, my video, according to the Bible, what is the biblical Godhead? That The title card says, who is God? Give that a watch, and I drop all of the scriptures uh, for an hour and a half. I believe it was an hour and a half or Maybe I'm confusing another one. But for nearly an hour, I go on and discuss 
uh, what is the biblical Godhead and showing the arguments of all this that it's not three individual persons. It's not uh, co it's not three co-equal persons. It's not three distinct persons. It is not three persons in the Godhead. You cannot prove that by the Bible. You can only prove that by uh, by accepted tradition catechism by the Council of Nicaea and these other Catholic Godhead traditionally accepted arguments that cannot be biblically uh, proven. When you go to the Bible and you use the Bible alone, it refutes the three-headed God. There are not three persons. You cannot prove three persons, but also at the same time, modalism is false and Sabellianism is false, according to the word of God. It's one person who shows himself simultaneously in the three. That's what the people call persons, but it's the three aspects of the one person. But because there are three representations of the one person simultaneously, people confuse that with persons, but it's not. It's the three nature characteristic aspects of the one person. That's what the Bible shows. God is omnipresent, omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he shows that he's able to do this. As he's on the throne, he's in the heart of every believer. He's at the side of every believer. He's teaching us and moving, and he's convincing and calling and drawing and, and convicting, all, doing all the work himself. It's God's own spirit doing this. It's not person's. The Bible doesn't say it's persons. If you say that it's persons, then please explain to me Isaiah 9, 6. Why is the baby in the manger called Father God? Why, why does it say the fullness of the Godhead is in the body of Jesus, Colossians 2, 9? And how come 1 John 5, 7 says the three that bear record, which means that the three that illustrate show the nature of, does not say, it does not say three persons. It says the three natures. So if one single Bible verse contradicts an, a supposed opinion, doctrine, teaching, or ideology, then that doctrine, teaching, ideology uh, supposition is false. And we take a look at John chapter 14. If uh, Jesus is saying, I will send you the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, I will come to you. I will be with you. I will not leave you. I will teach you. I will dwell in the heart of every believer. Ephesians 3.17. So therefore, Christ is saying he is the Holy Spirit and he will come down and indwell you and seal you and teach you and be with you always. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the world. Jesus is saying that. And Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So therefore, the body of Jesus is the, is the veil covering. As we've discussed the veil covering, because you can't look upon God as he is. So God had to fashion a body. For him, because again, spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Acts 20, 28, God purchased a church with his own blood. So he fashioned a body, Philippians 2, 5 to 8, so that he would indwell and show himself to the world and prove himself that, that he is God by many infallible proofs. That's what it says. Okay. Um... Stacy, isn't that what the Trinity is? John 17. I guess I can wait till you get there. I'm not saying I disagree. I've been taught he's three and he's one at the same time. Well, we'll come to those. Um, there's many. There's many arguments. Many things. Now, as as you're talking about, he's not three. He's one. As God says, actually says throughout the Old Testament, he says, "There's none other beside me." There's none other beside me. 
There's none other. He says, I am God. I alone am the Lord. There's none other beside me. Now, at, at, as even, even throughout there, we see the Israelites singing, singing the praises of God. The Lord is God. The Lord is one. And all throughout the scriptures, we see this. Uh, the provenness of one person, one God, moving, speaking, teaching, working. And so we have to understand there's one. How can three people be one? Be, how can there be one God if there's three persons? One God, three persons. That's three gods, not one God. Please explain to me how three equals one. It, it doesn't work in any way possible. Some people say, well, it's beyond our understanding. No, it's not actually. Then you take a look at it through the Bible. The key to understanding all of this is the meaning of the, of the term of the name Christ. The moment you start studying the meaning of the name term Christ, it all makes sense. Because Christ is, Christ is, Isaiah 9, 6, the mighty God, everlasting Father. That's Isaiah 9, 6 is. Was the prophet Isaiah mistaken? Well, no, obviously not. Well, then why did he say, that for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and he'll be called the mighty God, everlasting Father. Thus meaning Father God in the Hebrew. Why is the child born son given called Mighty God, everlasting Father. Why did the prophet Micah say, "In born in Bethlehem, Ephrata is the one whose ways are of old, of everlasting, meaning in the Hebrew, the always existing one, Jehovah God, Yahweh, the great I am, will be born in Bethlehem. So the term Christ is Jesus says, I am the Christ, and John 4, 25, 26. And then he goes on in John 14 and all these others explaining to say he is almighty, sovereign Lord, God, creator of all things. He is God almighty. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. Referring to the Christ spirit within him, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Colossians 2, 9. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. The comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom I will send in my name, will teach of me. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. I will be with you always. I will teach you how to pray. I will teach you all this. Look at what the scriptures say. So it's not three persons. It's one person who shows himself by three ways. It's one person who shows himself by three ways. There is a, well, I don't like to use these uh, terms, but there is a trinity of nature characteristic aspects, not persons. The mistaken, the mistaken understanding is persons. The Roman Catholic Godhead is three distinct co-equal persons. That explanation, that teaching was taught and fabricated and originated in the Constantinian Council of Nicaea in the 300s AD. In the Constantinian Council, uh, for, for where they studied and debated to figure out their doctrines, their beliefs, where they started putting together their religion which is the Roman Catholic Church. That's the Roman Catholic Godhead. They, they took up, plagiarized up the Bible, created their own, their own manuscripts for their own teachings, and they modified it, and they omitted and changed, added apocryphal text and everything else, and came up with their explanation of their God, of their Godhead, of three distinct persons, which that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what the Bible teaches. And then, like you said, in Genesis, and the one who say, well, let us, us, us make man in our image. What is the us? 
Well, if there were three persons and were made in the image of God, why aren't there three of us? But in fact, you see that as it says in Thessalonians, but I pray God that your whole body, soul, spirit, body, soul, spirit, these three are one body, soul, spirit, three aspects of our, of the nature of our person made in the image of God. If there are three of him, there'd be three of us. But since there's one of him, there's one of us, but there's three aspects of our nature. The us, it, it refers to those three things that make up the distinctive nature of God. God is father. He is word. He is Holy Spirit. So we see that which is the primary aspect of the of the sovereign ruling. He speaks and that which has life. And then we see that which gives the actual moving that moves upon things, the, the power of God in, the, in that way. We see body. We see soul, which lives on for eternity, that which gives life and spirit, which makes up the uniqueness of a person that moves. Spirit moves. He says that person has a very lively spirit. So you see, the us is referring to the fullness of that which defines the character of God's person. Not three persons. Because if it was three persons, then we got a big problem because God contradicted himself multiple times through the Bible. You see that. He contradicted himself then. Then we got a big problem. Why is the baby in the manger called Father God then? I guess Isaiah made a mistake. I guess Colossians, I guess Paul made a mistake. I guess John made a mistake at 1 John 5, 7. I guess Jesus made a mistake by saying, if, you look at, if you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. I guess we got a big problem. So therefore, we have to take a look. Okay, what in the Bible contradicts the supposed ideology and assertion? If the teaching, doctrine, opinion, ideology, assertion contradicts the Bible even remotely, then all of that's wrong. And the Bible's true, and you have to go back to the drawing board and figure out how to explain it then without contradicting the Bible. The three persons doctrine contradicts the Bible. It's not persons, it's natures, it's one person, not three. Three would be three gods, that's polytheism, which is Roman Catholicism, because Roman Catholicism is pagan. Okay. Even the spirit of truth, verse 17, the spirit of truth, which is the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, will come to you, will seal you. Then Jesus says, I will come to you. I will never leave you. I am with you always. I live in the heart of every believer by faith. Put it all together. Put it all together. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Okay, so before we move along, any comments, questions, issues, insights on that before we move along? Okay, so um, Christopher says, I agree. It's three natures or characteristics of God, not three persons, but many seem to believe that. Many do. Now, the other thing we want to understand about this as well, and I mentioned this multiple times, is that when we come to these kinds of discussions, these kinds of debates, we must understand that the explanation of the Godhead, of how it exactly works, three persons, three natures, either way, that is not salvationary. It does not affect your salvation. If you believe in three persons or three natures, whatever, that's not salvationary. 
It doesn't affect your salvation, so do not elevate it to a salvationary level. As you see, some people condemning other people because they disagree in, um, on how they explain how the Godhead works. What is salvationary is whether or not you believe that Jesus is God. As Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. As you see very, very, very clearly in the Bible, Jesus is the Christ, the mighty God manifested in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. If you do not believe that, you're not saved. You will go to hell if you deny the deity of Jesus Christ. But to understand exactly how the Godhead works, that's not salvationary. All right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. The show of prayer. Yep, the Lord, the Lord, Lord God is one. That's right. Okay, imagine says this is the twist that has happened with re with reincarnation belief. The idea of three separate God is the I am, the one. It's been perverted for a long, long time. That's right. It's been perverted since the 300s AD. It's been perverted since the Constantinian Council, where they were coming up with the doctrines for the for the for the universal church of the Roman Empire, universal is the word Catholic. So the, the Catholic church of the Roman Empire, the Roman Catholic church, they came up with that doctrine of those beliefs in the 300s AD in the Constantinian Council of Nicaea. So yeah, that's why it's so important to know your Bible. What does the Bible say? What are the doctrines of scripture? What does the Bible flat out say? Does it in any way, shape, or form remotely contradict, I suppose, ideology, teaching, or opinion, or belief? If it does, by even by one verse, then the Bible's true and all that other stuff's false. Now, what does the Bible say? All right, so again, one more time, verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now, who is talking? Who is talking? Well, Jesus says, the words that I say unto you are not mine own words, but of his that sent me. Who sent him? The Father. The Father is speaking through the Son. The Father is saying, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. You see that? You see that? Who is talking through the Son? So we see, as Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and my Father are one. The Spirit of God came down. The Spirit of the Father came down. God is Spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The Spirit of God came down as He promised He would to save His people from their sins. But Spirit's can't bleed spirits can't die and no man hath seen god at any time and lived so he fashioned a body philippians 2 5 to 8 that he indwelt showed himself to the world proved himself to the world taught all people all these things and the spirit of god the spirit of the father speaking through the son Where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father is speaking through the Son to Philip. If you're looking at me, you're looking at the Father. I am the Father. I want. That's what that means there. You see, the big problem with under uh, that people have in their inability to, to grasp this sometimes is they're not able to see the distinction between the flesh and blood and the spirit. Body, flesh, and blood, spirit. 
The body, flesh, and blood is Jesus. But Jesus is the bodily, physical manifestation, visible image of the invisible God. The veil covering of God. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. It's a figure of speech. That's There you go. So we see Jesus, the body of God. The glove on the hand. That's right. So we see there. Now that's not modalism. Modalism's stupid. Modalism's false. Modalism limits God, and modalism isn't even biblical, even remotely. Where God has to work in modes. Of, no, no, no. It's fullness simultaneous. Unlimited. Unlimited. He shows himself. The Father working, speaking through the Son. Because God can't show himself in spirit form to the world. He has to have a veil covering. Burning bush with Moses. Pillar of cloud. Pillar of fire. Shekinah glory cloud. No man hath seen God at any time and lived. But the only way you've seen him is through veil coverings. Whenever God has shown himself to the world, he always had a manifestation of a covering, a veil of something to cover his person so, so that he could show himself. So we see there. We see this. God is the way. God is the truth. God is the life. The, so therefore the spirit Spirit of truth that will teach you all things, will indwell you and teach you and speak to you and seal you and guide you and guard you and convict you and draw you in all things. Then Jesus says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Who is speaking? God. Through this body that he fashioned for himself. That's what the Bible flat out says. And since the Bible flat out says this, therefore, any other supposed teaching that shows God by another way of a different way, therefore contradicts this and is therefore false. What does the Bible say? You have to go by what the scriptures say. Not catechism, not council, not commentary, not creeds. Not any other teaching or, or any other thing. What does the Bible flat out say in and of itself? And that understanding is given when you study the thing, study it thoroughly. And that's the and that is our question at the very top of the comments. If you scroll up to the top, I show you, okay, what is the three points of Bible study and why is this important? Wild Blue explained uh, what are the three points very well. The interpretation, application, demonstration to help us to understand what is it saying, how is it being said, and why is this important so we can go live it, speak it, think it, do it. And why is this important so we know how to, how to discern between right and wrong doctrine. You cannot, you cannot discern wrong doctrine from the right if you don't know what the Bible says, all by itself, all in and of itself, alone. If one single verse contradicts, then you're wrong, and the Bible's true. Catechism's wrong, commentaries are wrong, councils are wrong, creeds are wrong, if they contradict the Bible even remotely. That's why this is so important. 
So therefore, Jesus is the Christ manifested in the flesh, the fleshly image of God, the manifestation of God, the body of God. Son of God means God the Son. Yet a little while, verse 19, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye, but ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Promising everlasting life, as Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I give unto them eternal life. Jesus says in John 10, 17 and 18, I, I have power to lay down mine own life, no man taketh it from me. I have power to lay down mine own life and... Take it up again. Who raised Jesus from the dead? I have power to lay down mine own life and take it up again. What did Jesus say in John 10, 17, 18? He raised himself from the dead. Yet a little while and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me because I live. Ye shall live also, promising everlasting life. Verse 20, at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. Well, hold up, what? Verse 20, at that day, what day? When he is glorified by the death, burial, resurrection, when he fulfills all his work. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. I am in my Father, and my Father in me. I and my Father are one. And if I am in my Father, and ye believe in me, ye are in me, and I am in you. The Spirit of the Father is in you. Right there. Verse 20, Jesus just said, If you are in Christ, Christ is in you, and Christ is the Father. The Father, the Spirit of the Father indwells you. Ephesians 3.17, that, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. What, who is, what is the Christ? Isaiah 9.6, uh, the everlasting Father, mighty God. Look at what it says. You can't refute it. You can't deny this. To deny it, to try to refute this, you're denying and refuting clear, obvious scripture. It's what it says. It's what it says. Well, I blue says, thank you for explaining that the way the Godhead works is not salvationary. That's right. Believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is. Amen. Imagine says, it's interesting. Satan attempts to do that as well. It's only in time of crisis you see he is nothing compared to God. Amen. Stacy says, wow, very cool. Really enjoying this study. Thank you for doing this. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Okay. Look what it says here. I am in my Father, my Father in me. I and my Father are one. I am in my Father, my Father in me, I and my Father are one, and if ye are in me, I am in you. If ye are in me, I am in you, just as I am in my Father, my Father is in me. Almighty God, the Spirit of Almighty God, the Spirit of the Father, the Christ Spirit of God, the promised Spirit that would save us from our sins, would indwell and seal the heart of every believer. That's what the Bible says, right there. 
John chapter 14, 15, and 16 are some of the most powerful chapters of the of the Bible, as they are the ones that really show the full undisputed sovereignty of Christ, how he is God. Compared with John chapter 8, where Jesus flat out calls himself the I am five times. I am means the always existing one, almighty sovereign Lord God, God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and Elijah in the flesh. Jesus says that in John chapter 8, and that's why the Pharisees wanted to stone him. Verse 21, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. What did Jesus say? If you love me, you love my father. If you believe in me, you're believing in my father. To love me, you love my father. How can you love the father and not love me? I am my father, I one. To love me is to love the father, Jesus says. To believe in me is to believe in the father, Jesus says. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father. And I will love him and will manifest myself in him. I will manifest myself in him. I will send you the comforter who will be with you and will dwell in you and will teach you. And Jesus says right here, and I will manifest myself in him. Right there, Jesus says, my spirit is the Holy Spirit. My spirit is the Christ spirit. My spirit is the spirit of the Father. Jesus just said that. How can one deny this when you go word by word, point by point, rightly dividing, pairing scripture to scripture, seeing all, how all the Bible, across the Bible, it says this. This is what the Bible says. Now, again, we must understand the difference between the body and the spirit. The Son is is not the father the son is not the father the son is the bodily physical manifestation of the father the body of the fashioned body of philippians 2 5 to 8. verse 22 judas saith unto him not iscariot lord how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world not understanding what, he, what Christ meant by manifest, to manifest. I will show myself to you, but, but he won't show himself to the world. How is that he won't show himself to the world? Well, again, if a person is unwilling to see, unwilling to learn, unwilling to hear the truth, they do not have ears to hear. If they've hardened their heart against the Lord, the Spirit of God cannot convict them. Because God's not going to force an individual to believe that if you've hardened your heart against the Lord, he how are you going to repent if you have a hard heart against God? How are you going to believe in the Lord if you've hardened yourself against the Lord? So how, how, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself to us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, again, Jesus explaining the heart attitude. Love. Why do we keep the commandments? Why do we follow him? Why do we believe? If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him. And we will come and we will, we will, we will come 
unto him and make our abode with him. Look at that. If you believe in the Lord, if you walk in his words, you'll be loved of God. Verse 23, look at this. You'll be loved of God. We. We will come unto him and make our abode with him. Look at that. Now, what is the we? Jesus Christ. Who dwells in your heart by faith? Christ. Who are you believing on? Who, who, are, who have you accepted in your heart as your Savior? Jesus. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the bodily manifestation of the Christ, which is the mighty God, everlasting Father. Do you see that? The fullness of God in the body of Jesus. Colossians 2.9, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the body of the Father. The Son and the Father are one. You believe in him? We are. We are. We'll live in the heart of every believer. Do you see that? Does that make sense? Do you get that? Look at that. Look at this. Verse 23, Jesus explains it right there. The we are. Us. You see this? Going verse by verse, point by point, word by word, paying attention to the specific words that are being said, the what, the how, the why. Look at what it says. We, son and father, are son and father. Jesus, the Christ. The Christ is, Isaiah 9, 6, Micah 5, 2, Father God. Christ is the spirit of Father God who manifests himself in the flesh as Jesus. Jesus is the son of God, the only begotten of God, fashioned by God to be the sacrifice of God. God's own body that he gave because he so loved us. Acts 20, 28. God purchased the church with his own blood. You see that? I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. How? When you believe in me. Who? Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, you confess with your mouth the belief of your heart. Jesus, You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior of heart belief. Jesus Christ dwells in the heart of every believer. I and my Father will dwell in him. How can you say that God is any other thing but that? Councils, commentaries, catechisms, creeds, other books, writings, other religions are all wrong. It's not three persons. It's not modalism. It's not civilianism. It's not any other thing. It's that Right there, what we just saw, what we just explained, what we just read, right there. You saw it yourself. That's who and what God is. So there you go. That's pretty awesome, eh? Okay.
Let's go back to verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, okay, what are they seeing? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay, what are who who's okay? Jesus is standing right in front of them. If you love me, Jesus says, if you love me, he will keep my words. My words are not mine, but are of his that sent me. We go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We see the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you have heard of old time it said this, but I say unto you, who has authority to change, alter, modify what has already been given? Who has authority to change, alter, modify a book? The author. You have heard of old time an eye for an eye, but I say unto you, Okay, who has authority to change that, to change the dispensation? The author. So Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is implying to the people, showing them he's the author of the word. My commandments, all the word of God. He will keep my words what words? All the word, the word of God. And my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. And the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. Right there you see it again. My words that I'm telling you are not just my own but are my father's words. The words that I'm telling you are my father's words. But Jesus says they're my words. I and my father are one. But the fathers which sent me, these things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now also I just want to just add something in here. Rabbit trail. Uh, we were talking earlier about the Jehovah's Witnesses, how they're crazy. And they believe Jesus is Michael the Archangel. They believe hell doesn't exist. Hell is the grave. They, they also believe the Holy Spirit is just a nebulous energy force. You know, kind of like Star Wars kind of thing. You know, the, a force energy. They don't believe the Holy Spirit is person. But as we see through the Bible, it, it, the Holy Ghost is explained as he he, the Holy Spirit is he, the Holy Spirit is his, the Holy Spirit has person, is the person. Now, who? God is spirit. God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is holy. God is righteous. God is pure, lovely, altogether good. God is Spirit, God is holy, God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And Spirit is the person of. You have a spirit. You are not omnipresent, but you have a spirit. Your spirit is you. 
that which is you, your the uniqueness, the identification, the individuality of you, that which makes you you, is your spirit. The Holy Ghost, which is the Spirit of God, which the Father will send in my name, that when you believe on the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, His Spirit indwells you. His Spirit indwells the heart of every believer. Whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. My words are not mine, though, but are of my Father's. The Spirit, the Spirit will teach you and cause be remembrance of the fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead manifested in the person of Jesus. Colossians 2, 9. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you loved me, you would rejoice because I said I go unto my father, for my father is greater than I. Okay, so right there you see some people get all confused. Well, why does he say the father is greater than I then? Who's talking? What are they seeing? What is the manifestation? The son is not the father. What is who is the son? Right there, you need to you need to remember the distinctive difference. Body, spirit, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the physical manifestation of the Christ. Jesus is the body of, the physical manifestation of, the visible image of the Christ. My father is greater than I. Who fashioned the body? Philippians 2, 5 to 8. Who fashioned the body? Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 8. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Okay, for that, you go back to Isaiah 9, 6. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Child born, son given. The body, the government will be upon his shoulders, meaning he'll be given all power, all rule, all authority. But who is he? The Messiah, the Christ, which is the mighty God, everlasting Father. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. How did this occur? But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. Took upon him a veil covering, a cloak, glove on the hand. You're not allowed to look, look at my hand. But if I put a glove on it, then you can't see it. The reason the glove moves because my hand moving, my glove and my hand are one. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man. Being found in fashion. Fashioned a body. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Right there, that refutes the whole belief that, that the Spirit of God came down and the Spirit of God just 
turned into a body, manifested into a body. Well, no, because uh, spirits can't bleed, spirits can't die. Acts 20, 28, God purchased the church with his own blood. The wage of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So how does a spirit bleed and die? Doesn't. So he fashioned a body that could for himself. So distinctive difference between body and spirit. Distinctive difference between body and spirit. Do you see that? You see that? The distinctive difference. When we see and grasp how body, spirit are separated. There's a distinctive difference there that also helps grasp the understanding of how the true biblical Godhead works and who Christ is, who Jesus is, and all, all of this. Okay. So what does he mean when he says, my father is greater than I? Right there. Jesus is the Christ. The Father, the Spirit of the Father is in him. Jesus says, my Father is in me. My Father is in me. I and my Father are one. My Father is in me. The words that I say unto you are not mine own words, but are my Father's that sent me. The works that I do are not mine own works, but are of his that sent me. My Father is in me. Colossians 2.9, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Spirit, the spirit in the body is the Spirit of the Father. The spirit of almighty God. Father who fashioned the body. That's what Jesus means. My father is greater than I. Okay. And now I have told you before it come to pass that when it come to pass, you might believe. The reason I'm explaining all of this, Jesus says, I'm giving you all of this. is so when the time comes. I go to the cross, I shed my blood, I die, I give up the ghost and die, I'm buried and rise again. So when all this occurs, it'll all make sense and you'll see and you'll understand, you'll grasp it, you'll get it. This is what it's all about. I've told you that ye might believe. Verse 30, hereafter I will not talk much, much sorry, hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Who's the prince of this world? Well, it's the devil hath nothing with me nothing in me because he's coming and he's going to try to oppose and try to hinder and all these things but because of his hindering because of his attempted hindering and all of this verse 31 well that the world may know that i love the father and as the father gave me commandment even so i do the father gave me commandment the government is upon his shoulders you have all power, all authority, all rulership. That to love Jesus is to love the Father. To love the Father is to love the Son. All that the Father hath, hath he has given me, Jesus says. All that the Father hath, he hath given me. As the Father gave me commandment, power to teach, to, uh, to, to save, to do all these things. He fashioned the body, and upon this body, he, he poured out all his power and authority. That to love the Father is to love the Son, to love the Son is to love the Father. But the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence.
Okay. Any comments, questions, issues, insights, anything else at all? Anything else at all? So do you see, folks, that when you just read the Bible, you don't need to read the catechisms and councils and creeds and commentaries or any of that. Just read the Bible. That the Word of God is so clear, so obvious, so concise, and all of these things that when we look at it and we just we stop trying to resist what it's clearly saying because it's going against commonly accepted tradition. Why do you believe what you believe? The doctrines and things that you hold and believe, why do you hold those and believe those? If you read a passage of scripture that seems to contradict, that seems to oppose, that seems to say something else other than what you've commonly accepted, then maybe what you've commonly accepted might not be right. Yeah, now have a good one. Good night. God bless you. Yeah, I'll see you in the Q&A. Thanks for joining in. So we see the importance here of looking at the word of God alone. Clearly, simply, concisely. Use only scripture. And if a single Bible verse contradicts any other supposed ideology, doctrine, teaching, whatever, catechism, counsel, that doctrine, teaching, ideology, catechism, counsel is wrong. Stop trying to justify things that are wrong. Stop holding to things that are skewed, that are explaining it incorrectly. Don't you want to be technically, biblically accurate and correct? So we see what the Bible says is not what is commonly accepted most times in traditionalism. So there you go. Anything else at all before we wrap this up? Anything else at all? Any comments, questions, issues, insights? criticisms, anything, anything else at all, please, by all means, go ahead, ask away. Again, if you would like more, if you'd like more on this study, please go see my video that I put out this past week on, according to the Bible, what is the biblical Godhead? The title card says, who is God? Check that one out. Please watch that. And then watch the follow-up video that I did on that one of, according to the Bible, uh, discerning true church history from the false. So when we understand true church history from the false, uh, we uh, we have to look at, okay, what does the Bible say? Does the Bible all alone by itself, in and of itself, contradict commonly accepted church history? So please check that out. Hey, Brayton says the Bible can't be the salt of the world if people keep sugarcoating it. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So please check out those videos on what is the bit, what is the Godhead, what is the biblical Godhead, what is true church history. Watch those videos, please. I, I ask that you please watch those videos as I go in and I explain all the stuff that we just discussed. Bye, dear friends. See you tomorrow on QA. Amen. Thank you once again, man. God bless. Thank you so much for joining in. Eric says we have